Broadcasting from the Sentinel Fort in Washington, D.C. This is District Sentinel Radio Live. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. Coming up, there's another teacher strike. Oakland teachers walked out today. Jeremy Wolf, a fifth grade teacher and union activist, joined us from the picket line to explain what's going on. And then everybody on Twitter is talking about it. The Awful Pundit Tournament 2019, its creator, Tanky, joins us a little later in the show. Sweet 16 voting is underway. We're going to see who's going to make the Hateful Eight. That's coming up. Plus, we've got the garbage can at the end of the show. (laughs) The Bernie 2020 announcement sent uh, folks into a meltdown online, and many of them make up tonight's roster of garbage candidates. It's a a donut Twitter extravaganza in the garbage can this week. They're still using that emoji, huh? The donut emoji. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even if they aren't, they uh, they'll no, forever they be are. known by. They are. They are still using some, it. Some of them are. I saw someone uh, tweet recently. Imagine being one of those people who use the donut uh, emoji for the donut Twitter, and trying to explain to someone <laughs> why you're using the donut. Do you remember why? I remember why. It, it doesn't have something to do. No, I actually I don't remember anymore. Does it have something to do with Nina Turner? It does. Yeah. Okay. I thought it did. Nina Turner went to uh, the the DNC HQ to have a have a sit down with them, just to uh, try to smooth things over between the the Bernie camp and the uh, establishment center, so to speak. And they uh, they they ran out on her. They they just totally locked the door. And gave her some donuts, <laughs> as uh, as if that was some sort of uh, grand gesture. And what she was upset by that. She was right? upset by that. Yeah, reasonably so. Reasonably so. And and now they, they mock are proud. Her. They are proud of this, of this donut Twitter. Total fuck you uh, to people who they inevitably try to blame for everything. Yeah. Except they have to vote for them. That <laughs> you you are required to vote for them. But don't, but don't try to make them work for it. That's for sure. Anyways, Congress is uh, out of session this week, but there are some stories worth mentioning quick before we uh, get into the Oakland teachers strike here. A couple miles north of the studio, literally just like four miles north of here, Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, a white supremacist was arrested. He's a member of the Coast Guard too. Uh, had 15 firearms over a thousand rounds of ammunition in his house. Apparently he wanted to kill everybody like a Turner diary scenario in order to establish a white society. He was uh, looking to kill lawmakers. Also had searched for socialists, right? Yeah. He Googled socialists. He was uh, kind of uh, frightening. I mean, frightening. Yeah. <laughs> he's nearby. He's in silver spring, which is a, uh, for, for, a, for a suburb of Washington, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty chill and diverse sort of place. So it's, it's kind of disturbing that he was there. You would figure a, a neo-Nazi who stockpiled weapons might be in Northern Virginia. Yeah. The bad news is he wanted to kill a whole bunch of people, including leftists. But the good news is he was 
dumb as fuck like most fascist scum yeah he was he was googling mass murderers on his work computer as he works for uh an arm of the federal security apparatus so it's the only thing saving our country right now is how goddamn stupid all the fascists (laughs) in power are yeah that's a, that's a pretty the good. The ones patrolling a, the yeah. streets and the ones in power. The, one, the ones not to not to discredit how dangerous they can be. As we've seen, they've killed several people in the last few years. There's been still, several people who've been victims of right wing fascist racist many. violence. Yes, but it there, could be so much worse. It could be so much worse if these people weren't the stupidest goddamn fucking people on the planet. Um. Watching MSNBC today, I wanted to hear about this story. I turned on MSNBC, which is obviously the wrong place to hear about this sort of stuff, because instead MSNBC was doing wall-to-wall coverage of the Jussie Smollett case, this actor who uh, faked a hate crime against himself to get a better deal or to get more better paycheck or something like that. First off, actors, man. Actors are weirdos. <laughs> As someone who did drama in high school... And hung out with a lot of actors and immediately got turned off by it once I got to college when, I guess, like, people get real serious about it. Actors are weird fucking people. So, this doesn't surprise me all that much that somebody would concoct this plan and that they'd be an actor that would have done this. But, uh, yeah, MSNBC doing, when they're not carrying the water for the CIA, they're carrying the water for MAGA hat people who want to deny that there's any right-wing violence in the U.S. The story is their story right now. Yeah, running with the uh, <clears throat> the story that fascist chuds are obsessing over to prove that there's no racism, and while doing that, ignoring a neo-Nazi murder plot. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying this isn't. Sh- they shouldn't be covered at all. Fine, cover the Jesse Smollett case because people cared about it when it happened. You have to update people on the new story. Take a little bit of the press conference if you want, but they covered it for an hour straight. An entire hour block was dedicated to this on the same day or the day after white supremacist was arrested who was trying to kill fucking everybody. Ironically, we uh, I think we did see some coverage of this story from Stephanie Rule, who usually is uh, yeah. the, the one sort of uh, leading the, the vapid well, news coverage. I mean, they had to talk about it eventually. We watched it, for like two hours. Finally, it came up. It reminds me when Bernie announced uh, on Tuesday morning, and I flipped on MSNBC right afterward, and... They were interviewing like William Weld, the guy who's considering running, who ran for as a libertarian, and he's considering challenging Trump on the GOP ticket. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Good luck getting Republicans on board with uh, ousting Trump. Yeah. So the Mueller report, speaking of which, the Mueller report is coming out soon. Yeah, reportedly. I'm seeing CNN saying this, New York Times, Washington Post have all said that Mueller's report could be coming out in the next week or so. At least be turned over to the Attorney General Barr. I didn't read any of these stories. I refuse to read these stories until the goddamn report itself. Or well, Barr's going to decide summary. whether or not it's going to be public. It's not. But I guess we're running out of days here for uh, Mueller's really jacked FBI agents to bust down the door of the White House and drag Trump out of it, kicking, screaming. Re- even more realistically, though, we're running out of time that Donald Trump Jr. might get indicted on something. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or Jared Kushner might get indicted on something. I mean, if all this... A lot of people are going are, are, we're gonna, to... We're going to be able to test the work on a lot of people over the last two years who've been reporting on the Russiagate thing, hyping up the Russiagate story. We're going to see what's there, finally, in the next few weeks. And I'm sure a lot of people who went overboard 
assuming that we aren't getting the indictments against Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and aren't getting like clear evidence of Trump engaging in a conspiracy with Russia to uh, target voters and manipulate certain districts and things like that, whatever, whatever the fever dream is that's been put out there. A lot of rep- people's reputations should be on the line here, considering how they've behaved over the last two years. But obviously, given the way our media works, nobody will be held accountable. At the I, end of I, this. I am still hopeful that Donald Trump Jr. will be indicted just because he's such a dumbass. That to have lied at some point. Right. I, I, I think he can still be indicted without that proving there's some huge uh, conspiracy that validates all the... Uh, the paranoid ranting and raving about Russiagate. I, I don't think, for example, that Mueller is going <laughs> to bring down a death sentence on Steve Bannon for no. treason, yeah. as, as former conservative MP Louise Minch said. <laughs> brings me... <laughs> brings her no, no joy. Pl- yeah, to report this, but... As someone who's pro-life, it, it brought her no joy, yeah. she tweeted. So I don't think we're going to see as much as I would like to see the Steve Bannon death penalty... Uh, for whatever, yeah. really, although treason is kind of badass, we're not going to see it. No, I mean, I think that I'm not saying nothing happened here, but I think that the worst of what's happened has already been known. It's already out in the public. Yeah, Trump's team took a meeting with Russian officials promising dirt. It's, you know, looks pretty likely that these Russian officials were also lobbyists on this issue of abortion. That was their job, this Veselnitskaya lobbied on this issue, wanted to get a door, get in the door with the Trump administration. So it's not clear, cut and dry. But even if they did take this meeting, there's been no evidence that anything was exchanged. And maybe Mueller's report will have the evidence here. We'll see. But we know that Trump has probably committed obstruction of justice since then. And we know that Trump has engaged in a whole myriad of other crimes that have been revealed from this, from the hush payments with Michael Cohen that violated federal election law to the constant violations of the emoluments clause in the U.S. Constitution. There's more than enough to launch impeachment proceedings against this dipshit right now. And I don't think our the case is going to get any better when the Mueller report drops. So yeah. if Democrats are hesitant now, I don't think I don't think their hand is going to get better in a few weeks. Yeah. But you, I could be right. wrong. You're right. I, I, mean, no, I, th- I, I think you nailed it. So uh, I've remained pretty skeptical about this whole process, but at the same time, we could see something. I want to see the report. I think the best we can hope for is uh, Donald Donald Trump Jr. getting arrested, which might happen. <laughs> quite frankly, and that would be that would bring me a lot of joy. I would say yeah. that would be the best Twitter day uh, since Scalia died. <laughs> it may well. I don't know. Scalia dying was w- that was top. Yeah, that I mean, was Bernie, top. Bernie's drawer. announcement was pretty good a few days ago. True. True. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Twitter, I tried to report Marco Rubio's account today because he keeps on begging for Venezuelan generals to do a coup, like out in the open. He keeps doing it. This is like what week four now. Yeah, every day. Anyway, about the coup. I feel like this should be against the terms of service. Like yeah, he- I got banned for way less than trying to do a coup. Yeah, you like called Red Steez a dumbass or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Rubio was tweeting, I guess, at the commander of the president's guard or something. I'm not sure if that's entirely what they call this force, uh, saying that they should think very carefully about the actions they take over the next few days in Venezuela because their actions will determine how they spend the rest of their life. Do you really want to be more loyal to Maduro 
than to your own family? Says Rubio acting like fucking mafia boss here. Or a guy who's taking part in a coup here. It's not going so well, I guess. Yeah. If, if, if we're reduced to Marco Rubio begging day after day for members of the Venezuelan security apparatus to... Uh, yeah. To overthrow the uh, the elected leader of the country. I, I, I remember the hope of his first few tweets when the demonstration started several weeks ago. I bet Rubio thought this was going to be done in like a week. And here he is, four weeks later, begging, begging people on Twitter to do the right thing and making threats that none of them possibly are afraid of. Yeah, well, I mean, the bad news is that with all the nefarious cast of characters involved in this from Elliot Abrams to Donald Trump to Jair Bolsonaro to Yvonne Duque. I don't think they're going to stop trying. True. The tactics will only get more heavy handed here. It's going to, yeah, it's, it's so gross. Uh, anyway, I guess we will, uh, talk more briefly about the, uh, situation in Venezuela later in the show. When we, we read some shitty PR emails, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we will. (laughs) So, on to the interview? Yeah, let's do it. So, today, public school teachers in Oakland became the latest educators to walk out on the job. Like their comrades all over the country, teachers in Oakland claim that local school officials are ramming through a neoliberal agenda, harming the city by underfunding public schools and diverting resources to experimental charter schools tied to elite donors. To discuss the strike, we were joined from the picket line by Jeremy Wolf. Jeremy is a fifth grade teacher and a union activist as chair of the Oakland Education Association Political Involvement Committee. Ha! And Mouthful. A quick shout out to subscriber Hoel Tena. You can see uh, he's in the picture in the uh, right here in the red. He helped us get in contact with Jeremy and helped set up the interview. Jeremy is also in the picture here. Uh, he is in the green there. So shout out to our subscribers. Anytime that you guys uh, have guest recommendations, hit us up. Please. We're always uh, looking for that. All right. So uh, yeah, we recorded this interview a little earlier. Enjoy it. All right. So Jeremy joins us now from Oakland. Jeremy, day one of the strike. How are things going? Uh, It's going pretty incredibly. Uh, The community support has been uh, wonderful. The teacher involvement has been... uh, really overwhelming. Uh, I can uh, speak mainly for my school site that uh, as of right now, to our knowledge, four students are at school. Um, Every other family in leave uh, has their students either on the picket line with us or at a solidarity school or at a parent co-op. So uh, the the family support and the community support has really been uh, phenomenal and is showing that this is a uh, a fight that is really for all of us. Could you uh, explain to us sort of what's going on? This is kind of uh, breaking news. It's day one. And uh, w- what is what is at the heart of uh, this particular struggle? Yeah, so this is a this is a uh, a battle between uh, private, uh, uh, you know, out of city wealthy privatizers and Oakland teachers and Oakland community who are seeking to support and improve Oakland public schools. So uh, Oakland teachers have been in uh, without a contract for two years now. 
We are. Uh, we came in looking for really three planks. We wanted to make sure that uh, class sizes got smaller so students could have teachers with a better ability to focus on them and invest in them to differentiate their lessons. And we put that in with an equity lens. So our demand was uh, a class size reduction of two students over the course of two years for all schools and then an additional two students for the schools that were in the highest need areas, because uh, we really we knew that this is a struggle where we need to make sure that the communities that need it more uh, get a, get more attention and more support. Um, the other one of the other planks was more student support. So right now we have one. Uh, I'm going to miss the numbers exactly. The one that I talk the most about is um, in a school district of 37,000 students, we have 21 nurses. Mm. Uh, so we have uh, 86 schools and 21 nurses. Jeez. So m- my school, uh, elementary school, has no nurse. We have had no nurse the entire year, um, which means uh, people are being forced to do jobs that they're just not qualified for, and it puts students mm. at risk. So we have... a our uh, our front office uh, classified staff is providing nurse support, and our teachers are providing nurse support. And it's really important that the teacher that the students have the support. Other schools that do have nurses will have them two days a week, and so you just have to make sure that if you have an asthma attack, you have it on Tuesday when your nurse is there, because if you have it on Wednesday, you got to handle it on your own. <laughs> um, and so we're doing the push that we need more nurses, more counselors, therapists, uh, resource specialists, speech pathologists, the people who make students feel safe, the people who make students feel comfortable so they're able to put their focus into their learning. Uh, And then uh, a living wage that right now Oakland is in a teacher retention crisis. Uh, Every year, one in five teachers in Oakland uh, does not come back to teaching in Oakland. Uh, the prices of living are high and the price is the lowest in Alameda County. And so that means that one in five classrooms has a, an experienced teacher. Um, over the, I think it is, the number might, I might be a little bit off on the number, but over the course of, uh, I think it's 70% of teachers leave within the first five years. And I can say as a third year teacher, you don't actually become really good until five years in. I I believe I will be good. I believe I'm doing a fine job now, but you got to have the experience. You have to have the knowledge to actually become good. And we're losing our teachers as they build that experience. Well, uh, and then, uh, yeah. I was going to say, you come highly recommended by uh, the father who is a subscriber to our Patreon uh, of, of one of the sons and of one of the students in your class. So uh, that's good enough for us, Jeremy. All right. Well, that's a a flattering to hear. Um, (laughs) And and that, that is not intended to be a criticism of new teachers, but simply that it is just like any other profession in any other trade. It is something that takes experience and takes knowledge and you have to build that craft. Um, And then we're talking also about school closures that uh, Oakland right now has a, the OUSD has a proposal has proposed closing or consolidating uh, 24 of our 86 schools. Um, 
they already closed, uh, voted to close Roots, uh, which is a middle school in East Oakland. And uh, part of the, one of the big things is that these schools are always in the more, uh, the poorer neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that have more black and brown students. And it's disruptive. It's uh, insulting. Um, the They did not consult or discuss with the Roots families. They came regularly to school board meetings expressing the fact that they supported their school, that they felt comfortable and at home in their school, but the district wants, is pushing to close it anyways and already voted to close it. Um, and the closures don't help. That uh, out of the, I believe it is 16 most recent schools that Oakland has closed, 14 of them reopened as charter schools. Mm. So they're, they're using this argument that there's too many schools to students but they're not actually decreasing that number because those schools reopen. They just no longer have public input. There's no longer public say in the management of the school. It's a, it's an effort of privatization. Hmm. So that, backdoor privatization, huh? Yeah. Yes. So that's certainly one and, issue. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so so those are really the, the now the four planks we're really focusing on. Uh, the district did not negotiate in good faith. Um, we spent a year in negotiations where they made no offer on class size reduction, no offer on uh, student support, and their initial pay offer was a raise that was so small and tied to increased hours that it actually came out to a pay cut. We then went into mediation. So we reached impasse, went into mediation, went through all of mediation, and only on the last day of mediation did they offer a 5% raise over three years. Uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, last year, cost of living in the Bay Area increased by 4.5%. So with their offer of a pay raise in three years, we'll make up for that. Um, and that was on the last day of mediation. So now they waited until the day before the strike to make a new offer. Um, it's a little, little, little bit better, but it's still, they're, they're showing that they don't have respect to the negotiation process or to the teachers, students, and community. This seems like a pretty, and correct me if my analysis is off here, but it seems like a pretty strong indictment of the idea that wealth in any way trickles down to public services or because here we have an area that uh, you have Silicon Valley uh, coming closer and closer and you have rents going up and lots of wealth being created and yet the public schools as you just said are overcrowded and teachers are not getting paid at all so none of that wealth is being filtered downward to any of the public services uh, yeah, this is a it's a real issue of the, the the money is there, the ability to fund the schools is there. California is, the, uh, I believe, the fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, the fact that we can't pay for educating our our people is an embarrassment. Um, we we are also it's a, we're paying about ten thousand dollars a year per student and about seventy five thousand a year per prisoner. 
So if we can fix our prison industrial complex, that money can go to things that help ensure people have livelihoods and don't get into problems. Seems like uh, <clears throat> some of the problems going on in Oakland are perhaps something that uh, people can expect uh, in Northern Virginia, maybe, if Amazon comes through with their HQ2 uh, plan. But maybe that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, I, I'm uh, not as familiar with uh, <laughs> where the Amazon plan is right now for Northern Virginia, but what I'd say is the, the, the wealth that comes isn't being shared, isn't being distributed. Uh, the Port of Oakland is in Oakland. It makes a ton of money. The headquarters of Clorox is in Oakland. It makes a ton of money. There, there's money there, but they're putting in the effort to make sure they don't have to share it. Um, this, uh, our school board was elected with uh, tons and tons of money from uh, millionaires and billionaires from out of state. Uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg personally dropped, Ugh. I believe it was $140,000 on one school board race Ugh. in Oakland. And uh, I don't believe he has a vested interest in the quality of education in Oakland. Uh, I think he has vested interest in keeping his money. Yeah, I'd say that's a safe bet. All his schools will be will just be lecturing kids not to drink big gulps, <laughs> and there'll be cops all over the schools. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, this is the latest in a long line of teachers' strikes we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, largely successful strikes. I can hear a lot of the energy in the background there. I I'm curious if the people out on the streets with you uh, have uh, a sense that you all are in this with other teachers around this country, as well as a sense that you all are on sort of the front lines of a new, a renewed labor labor struggle happening in the U S altogether. Yeah, it is definitely the, uh, the solidarity has been apparent. And so at the heart of all of this, uh, we've been feeling the support both from in it, like from teachers unions throughout the state and throughout the country. Um, as well as uh, we've built a real relationship with the labor movement within the Bay Area and at a larger scale. This is, we've been doing a lot of work of uh, the, there's no class without classified and talking about how we need to be working closely with the, the ASME and FEIU workers who help make the schools function and help make this possible. And we're pushing that any raise that we get, we're saying that they should be getting as well. Um, we've, I've personally gotten support from, uh, you know, the, the garbage men in the area who are saying they won't cross the picket line, the, uh, the building trades who are saying they won't cross the picket line, but this is, this is a, a real movement and a real effort to get working Americans to have their, uh, their power back because it, we've lost it. Hmm. Well, we'll let you get back to it there. But before you go, how long how long do you think this might go on for? I'm hoping uh, that OUSD reads the tea leaves. I'm hoping that they look at it and they look both at the fact that every teacher strike recently has ended 
for in the requests that the teachers have had for their community. Um, look at the fact that Oakland is organized, Oakland is a union town, and Oakland, the Oakland community is not being divided. They're trying to make this a parents versus teachers or kids versus teachers, and it's just not working. Uh, the students, actually, there was an incredible student walkout uh, last week or week before where high school students did their own strike. Um, so I'm hoping that OUSD looks at this and says it's, we're going to uh, we're going to be giving a contract and better to do it now and let the students learn uh, than drag it out. But uh, I'll also say I was a uh, first grade student during the 1996 Oakland teacher strike, which lasted five weeks. Hmm. Uh, my first memory of political involvement was my mom sending me and my older brother with two liter bottles of soda to keep the uh, teachers hy- uh, hydrated on the picket line. And uh, we don't want it to go on that long, but we're going to keep going uh, as long as it takes to make sure that Oakland has the quality schools that it deserves. Well, best of luck to you, and uh, thanks so much for joining us and explaining what's going on there. Yeah, Oakland public teacher Jeremy Wolf. Good luck. Thank you. And we are back live in the Sentinel Fort here in uh, Pistown, USA. Thanks again to Jeremy. You can follow him on Instagram at the Mr. Wolf. It's T-H-E-M-R-W-O-L-F-F. You know, we've got about five minutes, I think, until polls close in the garbage can. If you're a subscriber, patreon.com slash district sentinel right now. You can go and vote in the final minutes of the garbage can proceedings. It's a close one. You can swing this you can swing this race right now by subscribing. Patreon.com slash district sentinel. At the end of the show, we're gonna throw someone in the dang garbage can. Exciting times here. Exciting. Exciting. It's not often that your vote counts, but tonight it does, evidently. It does indeed. All right. Got some uh, PR emails to read. Yes, from the inbox where we read emails from ship merchants here in Washington, D.C. And it turns out we got another one here from the Center for Education Reform. Whoa. Yeah, we've uh, highlighted them on the show before. (laughs) It's Uh, almost time for us to... uh, Make a jingle for them or something. (laughs) Yeah. These are a bunch of corporate uh, education reformers out there. And I wanted to highlight this email because it's actually kind of newsworthy related to the Democratic race for the presidency. It states, in a major get for for ed opportunity supporters... New Jersey Senator and presumptive Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker, of course, (laughs) of course, signed on to Senate Bill 213 that reauthorizes the District of Columbia's Opportunity Scholarship, the only federally funded program that helps low income children pay for private school tuition. Troy Booker. Booker, who, you know, a lot of people think he's progressive. Uh, He he. Often talked about the charter school movement. Hasn't talked about it much, but he's officially saying, time to get back to the old me. Time to embrace it once again. Give it a few months and he'll be defending Bain Capital again. 
Booker, Lord, Lord forgive him. It's it's time to go back to the old him. Thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have the meme to pull up for YouTube viewers, yeah. but Intern Nate made it go viral a few days ago. Um, Booker's co-sponsoring this bill, by the way, with uh, Diane Feinstein, fellow Democrat. Also, two Republicans, because of course Republicans of course. are signing on to this bill. Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and Tim Scott. The uh, email from the Center for Education Reform goes on to say, we congratulate Senator Booker on his courage in sticking to his previous declarations of support for students to find education wherever it best suits them. Listen, just don't let anybody tell you that Booker is in the progressive lane of the Democratic primary. I can assure you he's not. Another email to flag. An example of PR water carrying for the Venezuela coup attempt. Telemundo presents wall-to-wall coverage of Venezuela Aid Live, an international benefit concert. Look, this is uh, this is based on the premise that Venezuela is refusing aid. It's not. Nope. You can criticize the Maduro government for a range of things. Not refusing aid. It's not doing that. The government is refusing U.S. assistance because the Trump administration is explicitly tying it to the installment of an unelected leader, a.k.a. a fucking coup. Yeah. International aid agencies want nothing to do with this. So they've been condemning the Trump administration, politicizing aid. Uh, not Telemundo, though. They're, uh, they've got wall-to-wall coverage of Venezuela aid a benefit, which uh, w- where's the... Uh, Where's the Haiti benefit concert, by the way? Or the Honduras benefit concert? They'll come when the coups come. <laughs> no, they won't, though. That's the problem. They won't. These concerts won't happen when the coups come in those countries. They, I mean, they, they haven't happened in the past. In the, uh, uh, the I mean, when, 2009, it's, time, when Honduras, it's time to launch a coup in Haiti. those countries through humani- humanitarian purposes, the concerts will be there. <laughs> Uh, we're uh we're bubbling close to uh to some more u.s back shit in haiti i've i've yeah, been noticing some in americans the were arrested some recently mercenaries uh, americans damn. we we gotta dig more into that next week yeah uh, it's been a it's been a crazy week anyway uh one of the guys behind the concert richard branson <laughs> the uh insufferable british billionaire another billionaire just happening to take an interest in venezuela I don't know why the uh, Virgin Atlantic, the airline guy, would uh, have an interest in the oil country. (laughs) I can't think of any reason whatsoever. This is a guy, remember, who, uh, remember when he filled his diaper because Jeremy Corbyn said he wanted to nationalize the trains? Yeah. They're not your trains, Richard. They're not your trains. We're coming back for our trains. Okay. Billionaires so entitled. Like if it has wheels or an engine, Branson uh, just thinks he owns it. I own the bloody rails, mate. Oh, the Virgin. Oh, I'm the Virgin. I own the bloody trains. You can't take them back from me. <laughs> we done here? <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, what's going on in the uh, chat room? Robert says Macron is going to throw the party in Haiti. Macron, by the way, not nominated for the can. He could have got nominated for. Uh, he could be nominated every week. Every week, this week, for saying that uh, anti uh, Zionism is anti Semitism. Oh, yeah. Which is oh. anti Semitic. Um, 
It's like <laughs> they see what's going on in the U.S. with the criminalization of BDS. Like, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> Hood my win. Uh, Alex Cohen said that uh, he saw that Ted Lieu say he wants Trump to be found innocent because it's better for America. Mm, there it is. Ted Lieu. There it is. Ted Lieu. We've got uh, Who the Woo saying the Richard, uh, the Virgin Richard Branson. That would look awfully Chad em- Corbin. <laughs> embarrassing for Ted Lieu, who's made like eight Russian salad dressing jokes about Donald Trump over the last year. Dear Donald Trump. I hear you like vodka. <laughs> Signed Ted Lou, the resistance. Uh, Send all the billionaires on a one-way trip to Mars. Agree. Richard Branson, he can be on that rocket. Anyway. Meredith says uh, they nearly nominated Macron. Well, now, now, now we don't get Macron. You nearly did it. Nearly. Next week, I guess, uh, he'll probably say something again. Very... Uh, Say or do something very bad. So it is a two-guest show tonight, a District Sentinel Radio Live double stuff, you might call it. Earlier, we had the pleasure of talking with longtime friend of the show, former Vox employee, and the creator of the hottest thing on Twitter right now, the awful pundit tournament, APT 2019, the one, the only, Tanky Viciato. Okay, very exciting times right now for District Sentinel Radio. We are joined by the creator of the awful pundit tournament. It's going on right now. Tanky is on the phone with us uh, at Tanky underscore Viciato. You know him. You love him on Twitter. And he's on the air with us. Welcome to the show, Tanky. What's happening, Sam? (laughs) So we are nearing the end of the Sweet Six. Voting is underway right now in the Sweet 16. Any huge upsets so far? How are things shaping up for the hateable eight? I think the single biggest upset is um, it's got to be Red Steve Stephen Miller. Um, not only did he, he's made it past Maggie Hammerman in round one. He made it past Kurt Schlichter last round. Colonel wow. Kurt himself. And right now, he's looking to upset Laura Ingram as a two-seed. What? Wow. Nazi salute herself, Laura Ingram. There there are contributing factors here. I think on the one hand, it might be that he just really wants it. He's, you know, boosting. He's saying, come on, I got to win this thing. I know I suck. And um, on the other hand, I think maybe a lot of people just don't understand that he's not the White House Stephen Miller. (laughs) Oh, that see, that would make sense. He he also... He could be trying to get his own uh, followers to vote for it because he thinks it's like some badge of honor. I noticed people did that a little bit with last year's tournament, with last year's APT. Have you noticed more energy this year and more people trying to rally their supporters online to to carry them forward in this tournament, oddly? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely something that has happened. Um, You know, people are enthusiastic about this, ranging from, the, the low seeds to the high seeds, we've gotten, you know, people that just, they really want to be a part of this thing. You know, let's start with the low seeds. Um, Esoteric Jeff and Charles Pierce, like they knew they were underdogs. They're like, man, I'm going to get just squashed round one. You know, Charles Pierce, Ben Shapiro, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm a UMBC in this thing. And, and sure enough, yeah, he, he just got squashed. And um, Sam goes for Esoteric Jeff. Um, 
yeah, he, he drew Chris Saliza round one. I mean, there's nothing you can do there. Is uh, Saliza um, still hanging around the tournament asking to see feet picks? You will not believe this, but he beat out Megan McArdle. Ooh. Wow. I'm curious. That's, that's one where you've got to wonder. That's got to be name recognition because just pure vile awfulness. You you know, you look at the Grenfell take and you just, how, how do you not vote for her? I mean, a big announcement has happened in the middle of this tournament, in the middle of the Sweet 16, and that is Bernie Sanders announcing he's going to run for president. What sort of effect has that had on the entrance in this year's tournament? I feel like a lot of people, in response to this announcement, have made uh, a renewed argument for why they belong in this tournament. See, I don't think it's going to have much of an outcome as far as this tournament is concerned, but... Something that um, I want to, you know, key the listeners onto is that we're already um, projecting onto how we're going to build the tournament for 2020. And the system I've devised is that we've relegated half of the losers from round one, and they will be going to the qualifier round in 2020. The qualifier round in 2020 is and it I'm, called I'm the championship now. The, marker, the prediction for the 2020 qualifier is it's going to be bigger than any event we've had in the history of the tournament. It's going to be called the Punderdome. <laughs> How many people you, are we expecting here? Punderdome. I'm trying to set it so that there will be 160 entrants in the Punderdome. <clears throat> and so, that way, Jesus. the top 10% will make it into the actual tournament. So, are there, are there that many awful pundits out there? Like I said, with um, Bernie Sanders entering the race, there are people really throwing their hat in, in the race, just going balls to the wall, so to speak. So I was wondering if you are doing a relegation system, is it going to be like uh, one home, one away? Is it going to be like 38 uh, uh, matches, so to speak, whereby it's not just a single elimination tournament? It's like, if you're going to play relegation, is is there going to be a league? Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I, I don't. European think soccer be, style, um, no. You know, uh, league matchups, no. Um, <laughs> Disappointing. Relegation is simply being bumped out of the tournament. Now, the people who are eliminated in round one that finished in the top half, they're locked in. Got it. Okay. So. <laughs> You know, you say, oh, that guy, I can't believe he got eliminated in round one. Um, he, he split the vote 50-50. Well, well, they're locked in for next tournament, so they have a better shot. They might be seated a little lower, have a, a different kind of matchup, but they're locked in. Is Clara Jeffrey still in this? Clara Jeffrey, she made it past round one, um, beating out Joanne Reed. I think that was that was a really tough matchup. But um, she was eliminated by uh, Walsh Freedom, Joe Walsh. Uh, let's... Um, give the four-year-olds guns <laughs> see i i think if that matchup would have happened a few days later after bernie's announcement claire jeffrey might have gotten the bump she needed to make it through the next round it's possible but i don't know the kindergartens is some powerful stuff <laughs> so who's left who who, who are we looking at at this year's tournament yeah who's making it to the hateable eight well let's let's run down the sweet 16 we've got Ben Shapino versus Thunder Dan, that would be um, the baseball crank. And I think we're, we're looking at Ben Shapiro to take that one handily. 
Um, we have the Eggman, Eggland's best, Eli Lake versus Chris Aliza, the fix, show feet, sweetie. Wow. It's a, um, it's a heavy, heavyweight. Setting up, it's setting up for a hateable weight matchup between Shapiro and Zaliza. Damn. I mean, I saw Shapiro was up by a lot. He's Has he been challenged at all in this tournament, or is he kind of cruising right now to a repeat? So uh, he is one of the people that did find the tournament, I believe, in the second round when he was uh, facing off with Sean Hannity. And he said, um, I'm Duke in this tournament, <laughs> to which um, Murder Brian from Street Fight said, more like David Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to tell you, the, the name that sticks out to me, the Cinderella, who in recent weeks has really made a case for themselves, Max Boot. Is Max Boot the real Max deal? Boot. Is Mac, Boot, Max Can Max Boot take down this tournament as a nine seed? He could go all the <laughs> way. Right now, he's facing off with Barry Weiss, um, Stavina Wig, we have him labeled. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Who's stopping him? He's out there putting in the work, saying Elliot Abrams innocent, and um, <laughs> what what else do you need? And so let's let's keep going down. We've got Ann Coulter versus Megan McCain. We have her labeled as Mrs. Domino, and um, yeah, that's you know, girl power. You know, uh, <laughs> the future is female, and uh, the, the the winner of that is going to get absolutely crushed by Max Boot. Um, <laughs> Probably, I do think Boot uh, is going to take it. He's he's a shoe in. He's yeah. a boot in. One year, one year, the glass ceiling might get broken at the APT. It's not going to be this year, though. Boot has been too prolific. Well, he's just been churning out bad you, take after bad take after bad take, oh, and you cannot stop Max Boot. You can't stay on the future is female theme. And the and matchup that, we had that brought um, Dana Loesch to the hateable, to the Sweet 16 on route, maybe for the hateable eight. She beated Katie Hopkins, which is, that, that's impressive. That was, that was a heavyweight matchup, one seed versus nine seed with, um, with Dana taking it all the way. And she was a huge figure in last year's tournament, making it all the way to the championship match. Wow. That's right. That, yeah, was, that, that was a big year for, for, uh, for gun. Yeah. That was how uh, the, the current events impacted the APT, which you see occasionally. Well, yeah, that was, you know, much like Max Boot coming out in support of Elliot Abrams, propelling him possibly, you know, through to the Fakak de Four. Um, Dana Loesch was peaking because she, it was right after the Parkland shooting. So you have her out here trying to spin this and do damage control for something that is, you know, would not be possible without guns. All right. So uh, should we sh- should we pick this up next week when the when we have more of a hateable eight or maybe uh, two weeks or something? We'll hear from you again soon, right? Right, Slater. Uh, fuck. Tanky. Oh, you're running out of time. We still got a few more matches to you know go through with the uh, Sweet Sixteen. All right, get get through those matches here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Dana Loesch is facing Joe Walsh right now. Red Steve Stephen Miller versus Laura Ingram. David Frum versus Anna Navarro. David Brooks, who won a 50-50 split with Jonathan Shade. That was one of the most intense matchups I think we've seen in the history of the tournament. Damn, it's a shame Shade's not and there. He, he's facing off with Tucker Carlson, and the, the Rutger-Bregman interview just dropped, and that might be something that really pushes him. Oh. That's right. The Dutch historian who uh, owned Tucker recording an interview 
and then released a video of it from the satellite studio in Amsterdam. And uh, Tucker just got, yeah, Dave, as David J. Roth put it, he got ragdolled. <laughs> he got clowned, just absolutely clowned. So I think um, if there's one bit of information I want to I want to leave this interview on, it's that um, Yashara, uh, who. Ali, we all know he's a huge dipshit. He was, he's very aware of the tournament. He's invested in the results, and sadly, he will be relegated. But mm. um, I, I think I posted this. He, he DM'd me asking, wait, how many votes did I get? <laughs> <laughs> this thing's just going to get bigger and bigger each year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's just going to get bigger and bigger each year. Follow Tanky Viciato at Tanky underscore Viciato on Twitter. Participate in the Awful Pundit Tournament 2019 APT. Voting is underway in the Sweet 16. Is there anything uh, I left out? Um, you know, I think we're on track and we've got, you know, a few days left of voting on the Sweet 16, um, the Hateable Eight. It's coming. We've got huge celebrity endorsements still coming in from cameo and it's, it's just a lot of fun wow there you have it uh tanky thanks for uh coming on the show and briefing our audience on uh everything that's going on back live in the sentinel fort that was a fun interview yeah i like how apt has relegation this year because the the awful pundits as you have noticed have adapted to it by trying to actually win it. So you have sad sacks like Yashar uh, asking Tanky how many votes he had, sliding into the DMs like a really sad, really sad person. Yeah. Uh, this is the tournament season. You know, once the APT winds up, and David Frum still going strong in the Awful Pundit tournament. Don't count him out yet. He is an awful pundit and can win this thing as well. But he reminds me that this is the tournament season. Once Tanky is done with the awful pundit tournament, there's the whole actual basketball March Madness tournament at the end of March. And then we get to roll out the worst tweet tournament Mm. of 2019. We got to get started on that. (laughs) We do have to get started on that. Luckily, you guys have helped us a lot by sending suggestions to at WorstDamnTweet on Twitter. Keep sending them. Keep sending them. We're going to start compiling those. Uh, ne- next month, we'll start compiling the field for the Worst Tweet Tournament, where David Frum was the winner last year. Uh, ben Shapiro almost won. Ben Shapiro almost won the Awful Pundit Tournament and the Worst Tweet Tournament. Maybe he can do it this year. I don't know. Maybe Max Boot can do it this year. I'm sure there's some bad Max Boot tweets that mm, we can highlight. Mm. There, there's some bad ones. I, I, I'm thinking of the the uh, Beto O'Rourke sex tweet. <laughs> the Cavs tweet. That's going to be a high seed. That is going to be a, a strong contender heading into uh, proceedings. Shall we move on? Uh, to- real quick, there's some chat oh. room talk here. Uh, we've got, uh, Kevin here really hoping that the DC Sentinel Civ game can happen one day. Civilization. Uh, Sam and I were just talking about this today. We, we still want to make this happen. We do want to make it happen. The, the thing is like, I think that the, the max, not the max, but the recommended number of human players in a multiplayer game is like eight. And there's a high demand for this game. So we might have to have several different games to accommodate all the people that want to come. Maybe we'll create a, a subscriber tier on Patreon, the gaming tier. 
gaming tier. A gaming tier would be would be fun. Of course, some of you would be grandfathered in already at at your current subscription level that have expressed an interest here. But uh, maybe in the future, a gaming tier. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to play Civ, it's like those games take like thirty hours to play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I guess it's time to uh, to read some poetry, huh? Oh, yes. Let's do it. This is the time in the show where we read haiku for the new subscribers on Patreon. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to bonus content. We're putting bonus content out every week, almost every day. You also get your own haiku read on the air. This is for Natalie. Abolish police, or if we do not do that, make cops do our chores. Thank you, Natalie. I could really get into that uh, new power dynamic there. How about they police me? My dishes. Uh, my Yeah, my uh, overflowing garbage can. How about they police, uh, uh, you know, police the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> there, there are so many puns you can do with uh, policing things and, and doing chores. There are. Patreon. Look, just take out our trash. Yeah. In the meantime, go to patreon.com. Once again, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to bonus content. You help a little news co-op here trying to survive in piss town. Against all the sh- ship merchants and lanyards and everybody that lives in this place. So, it's the end of the show. End of District Sentinel Radio Live. One last segment to get to. I just want to have a quick note here. We open up our garbage can segment to you, the subscribers, to nominate people and then to vote for who gets the garbage can at the end of it. And there was... A lot of enthusiasm to nominate AOC this week because she did not endorse Bernie. Uh, Her people said that they aren't even thinking about the election right now, which is a pretty reasonable answer. It is pretty far from the election. Uh, I I think it's a little unfair right now to attack AOC on this. And trust me, this is coming from people who nominated AOC to the garbage can last week and almost threw her in the garbage can for uh, joining in, for not defending Ilhan Omar. Um, but I think I think we can uh, give her time on this. But when the campaign really gets started, once the first debates are underway, as we start getting closer to the uh, to Iowa to the Iowa caucuses, I expect AOC to endorse Bernie. And if she doesn't, then we can start nominating for the garbage can. I mean, she has an important voice right now. She's going to have an important voice in the Democratic primary. She has a lot of people who are obsessed with her. She knows how important and how different Bernie is from the other people in this race. And if she doesn't endorse him, it's strictly a play to power, to the power circles in the Democratic Party, to not offend anyone. And that would be pretty damn disappointing. But I wouldn't be surprised. wouldn't be surprised. But we're going to hold off on uh, the official garbage can nomination. And I think we have a right to do that since we did nominate her last week. We're not afraid to go after AOC. Yeah, let's be clear. She didn't she didn't like quote tweet Sally Albright or anything here. She just hasn't come out yet. It it's so early. Like we're still like a year away from Iowa here. So I I don't 
begrudge anyone for not wanting to uh, to jump into the to the mock this this soon. All right. Having said that, interns, bring in the can. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bring them in. Bring them in. Oh, intern Nate, not home yet. No, but no, the interns know how to do their job without it, Nate being around. They it, actually do it better without Nate being around, they frankly. Do. It's 9 o'clock. Yep, right on in Do here. you know where your intern Nate is? <laughs> yep, just set it right in there. Man, it is stinking up the place. You know, we they occasionally keep it clean. Guess they haven't for a few weeks. All right. Garbage candidate number one, Donut Twitter. On Tuesday, Bernie Sanders announced he was running for president, and Donut Twitter completely lost their shit. I mean, to start with, Claire Jeffrey immediately tried to resurrect the Bernie bro phenomenon, saying the test will be if Bernie will denounce his online supporters when pressed on whether or not Hillary Clinton should have denounced her many uh, awful online supporters. Jeffrey backtracked immediately or tried to reframe what her argument was. Meanwhile, one of Kamala Harris's online supporters and prominent Donut Twitter member Rosie O'Donnell reacted to Bernie's announcement by engaging in blatant ageism. You'll be 80. He's too old. No more old white men. Hashtag Kamala Harris 2020. wonder if the candidate Kamala Harris is responsible for what Rosie O'Donnell is tweeting here. Hillary man Tom Watson reacted to Bernie's historic fundraising day by yelling at reporters to tweet about his baggage instead. Are you guys going to dig into his baggage or just watch the money meter run? This is getting ridiculous. This was sent at 7.46 a.m. <laughs> on February 9th, the day that Bernie fucking announced. <laughs> like He didn't give like a couple hours to see the fundraising numbers before he's already hassling reporters about it. Former Hillary Clinton campaign staffer Adam Parkamenko <laughs> claimed that part of Bernie's fundraising was coming from Russia. Of course. What about Russia, he said, in response to reports about Bernie raising $1 million from all 50 states. <laughs> Parker Menko and a lot of other accounts, not even worth mentioning at this point, also engaged in casual anti-Semitism, raising fears of money-grubbing or the Jewish Bolshevik Bernie. Tom Watson also managing to work it into a complaint about the media somehow conspiring with Bernie. Watching the money meter run. <laughs> Parentheses, parentheses, parentheses. In addition, there's people making up stories about Bernie bros in the wild, just being disrespectful to women everywhere. Folks are sharing old videos of Bernie defending communists, which they think will sink his campaign, but which are actually just cool as hell. Bring on the videos of Bernie in the 80s. There have just been so many meltdowns over the last few days from Donut Twitter that we could be here all night providing examples, so let's just let's just nominate the entire dang lot. Donut Twitter, you're nominated for the garbage can, and I think it's going to be hard to beat him this week. You got to love some of the uh, gripes over the Cold War politics in Central America now that, especially with Elliot Abrams back in the news, how dare Bernie Sanders not join in Elliot Abrams' genocide? <laughs> How dare he not do that? Uh, garbage candidate number two, Max Boot. Look at that dumb motherfucker. One of the that hat. one of the worst upward failures in Washington. Boot gave everyone yet another insufferable lecture this week. 
He tweeted out a recent column yesterday summarizing it thusly, quote, Historians bear some blame for the increasing irrelevance of their discipline. They have retreated from public debate into their own esoteric pursuits. Now, it's possible that even a fedora-wearing goofus like Max Boot isn't totally wrong about this, but if historians are retreating from public debate, it's because humanities don't get funded and because corporate media consolidation means the elevation of absolute charlatans like Max Boot. He's a guy who's constantly rewarded for being wrong about U.S. militarism. He's a guy whose name sounds like what you want to do to his groin. <laughs> this week, Max Boot is nominated for the garbage can. Garbage candidate number three, Amy Klobuchar. I don't think we've thrown her in the garbage can or, heck, even nominated her yet for being a terrible boss. So that's a good reason right there. But it gets worse. Not only is she a deranged mini dictator in her office, she's using the fact that she grinds up her employees as a reason for why you should vote for her. Quote, here she is, quote, I'm tough. I push people. That is true. I have high expectations for myself. I have high expectations for the people that work for me. And I have high expectations for this country. A chicken in every pot and a binder hurled at everyone's freaking head. Klobuchar 2020. America, time to shave your boss's legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not interested in that at all. Add in Klobuchar replaying the 2016 Clinton campaign by boldly proclaiming we can't actually have nice things like free public college. And we've got a heck of a strong garbage candidate this week, Senator Amy Klobuchar. You're nominated. I think Klobuchar might, uh, might I don't know, I haven't been checking the votes. Is she Is she up there? Is she a contender? Well, anyway, we'll get to that soon. I think she could win. I think she could take this. Garbage candidate number four, the independent group. The other shoe has finally dropped in the UK. Labor Party centrists split off in protest of Jeremy Corbyn to create a new party called the independent group. Unsurprisingly, these insufferable pricks are already working with Tories. Three conservative MPs have joined the eight Blairite scumbags who totally shit on the voters that elected them as Labor MPs with Jeremy Corbyn as their leader. Of course, these absolute scumbags defended their fuck you to voters in this, the fucking smarmiest way possible. According to the Mirror, independent conservative Heidi Allen said, quote, this is what the big parties do. They want to crush the birth of democracy. <laughs> they just get together and just form a new fucking party in a back room and they have the gall to talk about democracy. The contempt for the electorate here is yet another naked attempt to knife the left in the back. Every Labor MP who joined this farce is a fucking disgrace. This week, the independent group is nominated to the garbage can. Didn't one of the members uh, say they le they left because of uh, Labor's anti-Semitism and racism and then immediately do racist stuff on television? Oh, yeah. The first interview was <laughs> a... Uh, uh, I can't remember the, the parliamentarian's name at the moment, but they said... Uh, they they described peop, uh, people of color as having like a funny, funny tinge, color of skin, Jesus. funny tinge. Jesus fucking Christ! <sighs> Finally, centrist anti-racism going well. I can see. Moving on. Did you notice I shaved? I shaved for the show today. Oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. I saw actually the reason I shaved is I saw the uh, the picture of the the hot Lincoln statue trending. 
uh, <laughs> on Twitter. So I figured I'd sh- <laughs> Garbage candidate number five, Roger Stone, the Trump ally, longtime dirty trickster, the rat fucker, faced a judge today for violating a gag order related to the criminal proceedings he's facing as part of the Mueller probe. Stone was called to testify to explain why he posted a photo on Instagram of the presiding judge in his case with crosshairs near her head. (laughs) God damn, this dude is on another level. That is certainly a bold fucking move right there by Roger Stone. By bold, I mean quite possibly the dumbest thing you could do and a great way to really fuck over your legal team or give them an excuse to bill you for another hundred hours to try to clean up this mess. Either way, <laughs> imagine being his lawyer and seeing that pop up on Instagram <laughs> and furiously <laughs> trying to call your client. Like, what is wrong with you? Knowing he's broke, <laughs> allegedly broke, yeah. and you can see why he's selling, broke. Selling stones signed by Roger Stone isn't working out here. Either way, this guy is a shitbag, and Roger Stone in the garbage can have been circling each other for a while. Maybe it's time they finally met. I just can't stop thinking about the photo of Roger Stone in the uh, steampunk outfit (laughs) during the Trump inauguration. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Garbage candidate number six, Claire Lehman. Lehman is a gurgling Australian idiot who (laughs) founded Colette Magazine, a dumping ground for reactionary posts. Lehman went on a typical rant this week, pseudoscientific bordering on phrenology, saying this about poor people, quote, if you've ever worked, lived, or spent time with people trapped in the underclass, the problem is not lack of money. Of course, Lehman offered no sort of academic backing on this, just knee-jerk anecdotal trash, trust me shit from someone who makes a living getting rich people to donate money for thesaurus racism. Of course, by the way, this was in defense, or, or sorry, attacking a top uh, 70% wealth tax or marginal tax on uh, the rich. Either way, it was I can't remember if it was a wealth tax or a tax on the uh, rich, uh, sorry, on the top income bracket, but it was a tax on the rich that, that she came out with this pseudo-scientific trash. She went on to say something like, uh, just look at what happens when people get their, what was it, her four score something paycheck, every four week paycheck, they go on benders. Yeah, that's why people are poor, because they go on benders. Lehman is a fucking fraud, a crypto hack. She's nominated this week for the garbage can. Okay, we've got Claire Lehman, we've got Roger Stone, we've got the independent group, we've got uh, Amy Klobuchar. We've got, uh, who else do we have here? We've got Max Boot. Max Boot, We've got yeah. Donut Twitter. It was a fairly uh, close race for the garbage can this week. But in the end, it was who we all expected. Donut, Donut Twitter, Twitter, you are going in the garbage can. Oh, don't oh. worry. You should feel comfortable. Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign is already in there. nice that will do it for the show this week if you liked what you watched consider subscribing over at patreon.com slash district sentinel gonna bring it up again one more time right there for you also while you're here on youtube consider subscribing here it's in the uh, upper right hand corner 
Angela Smith was the MP. Yes, is uh, is what the chat is telling me right now. Angela Smith. That's true. Funny tinge, uh, anti-racist MP. Yeah. Subscribe to our SoundCloud. We release free audio content over there on a near daily basis. Follow us on uh, Twitter at the DC Sentinel. We've got our soccer show uh, coming out uh, tomorrow. The uh, newscasts and all the regular content resumes next week. Thanks to our sponsor, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. We're here in D.C. so that you don't have to be.